0: Hey fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Today I'm here with a familiar guest, Mr. Henrik Wallenstein. He joined me for the Adidas event in Paris. You might have seen my vlog about that or my Instagram content. He was there as a guest of Treturn, I think, who has a connection with Adidas in Sweden. And I went there with Tennis Warehouse Europe. So it was a great trip. We're going to talk about that trip. We're going to talk about rackets and we're going to talk about his recent racket switch and other things. So stick around in the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast thank you
1: very much a pleasure to be
0: uh, your guest again so um how was how was Paris what did, what did you it was not your first time in uh, the, the French open or in Paris but this was uh, quite a while ago yeah I
1: was there first time in 1998 second time around uh, 2003 or something and I mean pretty much everything has changed um it's the same location but I don't think any any of the court is the same. They have uh, remade everything, and uh, yeah, it, it's a spectacular setting. It's a spectacular area. And it's like the paradise for uh, for us tennis lovers. It's, it's it has everything you could ask for, and a little bit more.
0: Yeah, no, I was, was very impressed. I have it was my first time, uh, oddly, but it was uh, really impressive. I think uh, we talked to some French guys there. they, they were not as impressed by the organization. Because you have to wait a lot to get into some stadiums uh, if you don't have that specific seat ticket. I did not notice that that much. I think that's the case with every Grand Slam. It's quite quite tough from what I've known. But uh, it seems very good. I mean, the the whole arena, the whole setting. We were also lucky with the weather. It was really hot. And uh, we should say big thanks to Rebecca for giving us um, some extra tickets for that day where we didn't have a ticket. So that, that was really nice. Yeah,
1: it was really nice from uh, Rebecca Pettersson, the Swedish um, WTA player, to give us tickets. So we got to see her match. And then we also went to um, Simon Mathieu court to see Karatsev against TFO. And I think that's my favorite court uh, on the entire premises. It's, it's just perfect for creating a great atmosphere in pretty much every game. <laughs> At that court creates like a s- certain atmosphere Um really really cool to be there and we had luck with the weather i think it was around 30 degrees and the burning sun so the shower
0: afterwards was pretty nice i think we sweat as much as the players did yeah if not more it was it was intensely hot and i think that's a good thing when when uh, you are gonna go to a tennis tournament in summer you need to really pack up on sunscreen and also wear clothes that are, you know, easy to sweat in because if you wear like a, you know, blazer or, a, or you know, like a nice shirt or whatever, it's it's going to be tough to sit there and, and watch tennis if that's what you're there for. Uh, if you go to the VIP tent, sometimes you see people who are more interested in drinking champagne than actually uh, watching some tennis, which is typical of these events. You see that in Monte Carlo, you see that pretty much everywhere that some people are, you know, it's, it's an event. Tennis is not only about the watching the tennis, it's also like entertainment for, for other things and, and food and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um... I mean, you can drink the champagne or beer afterwards. Tennis is the main focus. Um, but it was, uh, I mean, the second day on the, what was it, Friday, we got tickets to, Court Philippe Chatrier uh, for the corporate boxes. So we were, like, third, fourth row watching uh, Alcaraz against Chapovalov. And that was one of my best tennis experiences, I think, ever, um, seeing... That kind of tennis, they—they, they, I mean, Chapo played well. He had some struggles with his arm, so his serve was not spot on. But uh, the level from Alcaraz—it's he's gonna be around for a long time if he if he stays away from injuries. He's gonna be like maybe not the best ever, but performance-wise, I don't think anyone will ever play better tennis than he does when he's at his peak. He's so athletic. He moves well. He hits the ball hard he doesn't seem to have any real nerves uh, and he behaves very, very well. So it was a pleasure and a privilege to be there watching, watching that match, actually, and great atmosphere, great company. Everything was like one of those magical nights that makes you love tennis even more.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, and also like that was the first time watching Alcaraz and, and you know, what, what a, a treat for a tennis fan, because he has everything, like you said, and he has the explosiveness and he's also level headed and has a smile on his face. So he kind of, you know, they they combine Fed, Rafa, and maybe even a little bit of Novak, although it's not maybe as clear in the game style, that just made this player, it's like almost like he, they made him in a lab. And, and he's just amazing. And um, we'll see. I mean, if he stays injury-free, I mean, I think it would be tough to reach 22, 23 grand slams. Uh, but he's going to for sure be one of the greats in the game. And you feel it when you watch him. You feel like this is a special guy uh, coming at this time after kind of Roger retired, Rafa is injured, Novak is maybe on the last one, two years. So uh, we needed, tennis needed that. And uh, yeah, it's very nice to have him. And it's, it was spectacular to watch him. And it's so the way he demolishes, even like yesterday, he demolished kind of Musetti, informed player. He beat, you know, um, Cam Nori in three sets, Musetti earlier. And then it's Alcara's time and he just wins in three easy sets. <laughs> it's like. It makes you feel like the one-handed backhand is, is dead in, in tennis because he just attacks that one-handed backhand and they they have no, no chance, right? It, it's um, it, it's tough for us one-handed backhand players to see that stuff.
1: Yeah, I understand. I mean, we saw against Chapo, he tried to really hit, not moon ball, but really heavy topspin out on his one-handed backhand. And I mean, hitting a one-handed backhand above your head almost. That's almost an impossible shot. So, um yeah, he's wreaking havoc. Yeah, that guy is really, really, really nasty with his spin and power. And um, I think yeah, the only contender I see at the moment, except, of course, Novak as long as he's in the game, is uh, I think Holger Rune uh, will be um, um, a real tough challenge for uh, for Alcaraz as well. Because when he's on his game, he really hits hard and he doesn't give Alcaraz so much room maybe to hit his... Powerful shots, so I think that could be like the new rivalry between Holger Rune and uh, Alcaraz. I think that is um, for the next 10-15 years, uh, if they are out of problems and injuries, that could be the next uh, big rivalry. I think that's the future world number one and two, actually.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Rune has also extreme mental strength. Like he seems to win these matches when he gets into a fifth set tiebreak and whatever, like he won yesterday. Um, a heavy match and so he has the mental strength maybe even stronger than Alcaraz not quite as explosive game but he's also very very versatile seems a little bit more prone maybe to some meltdowns as well um, but but he is definitely a guy that should be like one, two, three. maybe with Yannick Sinner I don't know uh, depends a little bit how how the you know history pans out but I think both Rune and Alcaraz they're a little bit more versatile than Sinner while Sinner is, is a bit more tied to his baseline uh, so if Sinner maybe could get a little bit more all-court into his game, I think he, he could also be a threat. But those three, maybe with like a, some new guy like Arthur Fields or, or something uh, from France, uh, that could be like a, you know the new uh, stars of tennis.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um, a lot of persons and spectators were a bit afraid. I mean, Rafa, Roger, Novak, they are the, pretty much the three greatest of all times. And when they are quitting pretty much in the same age-ish. People were very afraid that tennis will lack profiles and stars, but I think that the future really looks uh, really looks good. I mean, the level is beyond amazing. It's um, when people really understand that you don't just look at the names, that look actually at the level of tennis. It's spectacular, especially on clay when they can slide and get so many more balls. Um, it will be a good future for tennis with these guys, the new up-and-comers. Um, they will take good care of, um, of the heritage of the three goats. So, um, it's going to be, uh, really good, good for the tennis and good to get new type of spectators, um, watching those, sub uh, like Rune, a uh, pretty hot guy, uh, with, um, his, temperament and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it could be good. It could attract new spectators.
0: Yeah, I think there's a there's a worry in tennis. And I, I kind of share it that it's like we're an aging demographic tennis fans, you know, and there's new sports, paddle, pickleball uh, other activities, whether you want to be in the metaverse or whatever you want to do um, in the younger generation, while tennis fans tend to be, if you look at the stats, kind of older and, uh, and tennis is a slower sport. So there's like, you know, five sets in the slams. The tour is endless. It seems like there's so, every new week. There's a new tournament. They travel. It, it doesn't feel like as the most sustainability-driven sport either. In terms of like they fly everywhere. They use you know um, polyester strings and and rubber balls and stuff like that. So there are worries about tennis. Then you see these guys. You get a little bit more comfort in it. Uh, do you think there will be need for like some game like rule changes or anything? Because I have a, had a friend the other day who's uh, who's watching tennis, but he's not like a tennis player. He said, like, they're, they're standing so far back now when they're returning serve. I mean, you could look at Medvedev and you could look at some other players, but they stand so far back that they're, they're almost like by the, you know, uh, line ref there. Um, do they Will they need to change something? Will they have to remove a serve? Or or do you think that they will get to a point where you need to change the sport a bit to, to get more, um, you know, to make it more fair or, or to get more spectators?
1: I think, I mean, just watching at the French Open, the five-set matches, it's um, the ultimate test of a... Of a match, a sporting event. Um, for me as a tennis player, I don't see any issues at all with the tennis as it is. You also see some guys like Bublik and Kyrgios when they are doing the the underhand serve, uh, when they are standing too far back. So I think maybe, maybe the under... I don't... I am not a fan of the underhand serve, underarm serve. What is it called? Underhand, underarm?
0: Yeah. Underarm, I think.
1: Right. Um, I'm not a fan of it, but uh, maybe it will be nice to change it up to use it like a pure vet weapon when they are standing that far back and hit an underarm serve. Maybe that will change things up. I don't see any other things. That it's just that players get more and more athletic, more and more well trained. At the moment, I don't see any major. Maybe I would see maybe instead do some kind of new sprint format or something for maybe the minor tournaments like ATP 250 and and stuff like that because Monday could be like a pretty dead day in most events. Maybe have them maybe play fast four matches uh, like the um, um, junior or the under 21 playoffs in Milan each year. Do some format like that, have like four groups with four players in each Um, do sprint matches. So it's faster matches, more interesting uh, more hype of it. And then have like a playoff in the weekends, something like that to make it more spectator friendly, uh, attract more spectators, have more players around for a longer time. I mean, now, if you're losing on Monday, 11 o'clock, they have a full week with no tennis. Maybe some spectators buy a ticket just to watch that specific player. And if he went out or he went out at 11 o'clock in the Monday, they will lose that the spectator. But if they play a match on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, two matches on Thursday, for example, people would stick around and you know that you will see that specific player at one point in the tournament. So I think that would be maybe a change that they could do for minor minor tournaments to attract more TV, more sponsors, more, more crowd, like have a more get together with more players. Um, yeah, make more of a show of it, even if it's still the sports, but make some,
0: something, something new of it. Yeah. I like that idea. I think that's a great idea. I, I noticed that when you play like the, you both, uh, we both play the ITF seniors or master stores it's called now. And, and it's like, when you have a lot of players, uh, you obviously have an open draw but in my age groups uh, I, what I noticed like is that they m- usually don't have many players so it's maybe like 5 6 people um and then you play like round robin which i think is great or you have two groups with a with round robin and you get at least three matches w- which it's much better for me as kind of a you know a player who wants to play a lot of matches but it could also be a, a format that you could bring onto more professional events because then the player stays longer, gets more training matches, has a chance even if he loses one match or she loses to get into uh, the playoff or the semis or or the final. What what's depending on on the format. And and like you said, I think for the Spectres, uh, tennis is driven f- through the individuals, right? It's like an individual sport. So in, in in team sports, you have a favorite team. I follow this club because that's my you know favorite club since I was a kid. Blah blah blah. And uh, in tennis, it's more like, I like this guy, this player, this, this you know, girl, she, she has a style, he has a style that, that's very attractive for me to watch. Or I just, you know, they're from, we're from the same country or something. And then you have that connection and that player doesn't play, it's, it's a problem. So uh, I think you're onto something there. I think ATP need to experiment a bit more. I think there's been, uh, been a bit of a progress with the, the next gen finals, with the, with the fast four, like the five sets to, to four games. I think that's pretty good. But they can they can try a bit more, I think. Uh, tennis is very much a traditional sport, so I mean, keep the Grand Slams as is, in my opinion. I would even throw in maybe five sets for the women's uh, from the women's quarterfinals to make that a bit stakes a bit higher. Uh, but then just keep the format because I think five sets creates more of a storyline, so it's a more interesting. You know, I mean, like, if you look at the French Open, if you look at Grand Slams, where do people gather in a match? And how, you know, they, for the fifth set, like, people always want to watch a fifth set. It's like super drama, right? These guys have been on the court for three, four, five hours, and that's where people want to be. That's where the, you know, story ends. It's like a Netflix series. So uh, I think, uh, I think that's a great idea. I think they need to to do something uh, because um, just to experiment a bit. I mean, watching Tennis Live. We're both tennis nerds, tennis fans, so for us, it's obviously, you know, huge excitement just to see even an outside court. And like we said, with that match, we watched Rebecca, sadly she lost, but we got so close to the, um, to the match. So you really see everything, like right? you really, you can study the the pace, the spin, like how can she deal with this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I think watching tennis live is something I recommend to uh, to any tennis nerd, you know, if they can. Yeah,
1: And especially watching tennis on the outside courts, as you mentioned. I mean, for example, Borstad, Swedish Open, uh, on the lower courts there, and also court number one, you are like virtually two meters from the players. You can almost touch them when they are taking their towels. And it's a totally, I mean, if you are on court chatrier on level or row 50 and watching a game at row one, I mean, the tennis, this the speed, the pace you see on row one, it's amazing. It's a totally, It's it's virtually like a different sport, different game. Um, so I really recommend going on an event, seeing the players' practice working out and be up close because that is so much better, so much more cool, and especially if you went to a grand slam, I've been to u s open Australian open and French open, sadly never Wimbledon, but I always try to go like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the first week when it's matches everywhere, and they are on the smaller courts um it's so good to just stroll around, watching a bit of tennis here, a bit there, changing courts. It's amazing to see on the smaller courts. So I really recommend going to an ATP or WTA uh, event and seeing the first rounds and be up close. That's my my main uh,
0: advice for tennis fans. Yeah, I agree. I I, I worked, I've been to Wimbledon before and and you know got tickets to see Djokovic and Murray. They both won easy matches, and I was quite far away. Like I mean, I had pretty good tickets, um, to be honest. But but it's like I was still far away that it wasn't really. You didn't feel that connection to the match, the way you did when we were watching Alcaraz, for for example, on Chatre, We were lucky enough to have courtside seats, pretty much, or when we're watching the outside, where you can really get down on like court level. Uh, so you feel like you're 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 one of the line umpires, right? So it's um imp- that's the way to watch it. You see all the spin, you see everything, and you get like almost like a more of an adrenaline. From watching tennis that way uh, i think that's the the way to put it i also want to say about the whole event like uh, i mean big thanks to adidas uh, they were the organizers of the, of the whole day with adidas the adi house and and everything uh, really impressive uh, arrangement food everything was was great um also nice to to you know be able to talk about products you and i we are product nerds uh racket strings bags shoes and we got to talk to uh, Oisin to and, and um, Venhe, the, um, the designers of like, the apparel and the shoes that work with them now. I even got to ask about the, the shit shorts, uh, <laughs> which, which they were not responsible for. That was previous people. But uh, it was, was fun that you could actually get some, some questions and, and, uh, and discuss the new line. And you're a big fan of, of the Soul Court Boost. So you got the chance to, the old shoe, or like seven years ago maybe, uh, you got the chance to ask for it back. How did they react to your to your
1: uh, first of all a big thanks to to Adidas for for hosting such an event. Um, one thing that struck me was how friendly and professional and like down to earth everyone in the team were. It was like uh, the human beings behind it, the the persons from Adidas. They were very humble, very down to earth, very much like you and I are sitting here and talking. Um, and they were really listening when I talked about. I mean, I'm out on uh, different forums and getting comments um, all the time. People are really asking for the soul Chord boost again. And when I mentioned it for them, they were really listening. I mean, not just like, yeah, 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 it sounds good, uh, but we have something new. They were really taking notes. They were really like f- listening to what we were saying to have like a comfortable shoe. A little bit wider not so snug maybe for us amateur players that needs and demands a little bit more comfort we don't maybe need the top performance all the time and they were really listening for real I mean not just like saying that they were taking notes and really really thinking about it so we'll see what's happening in the future maybe I mean if we could have any impact on it it would be great because that is a type of shoe that I am missing it's not easy to find good cushioned shoe with good stability and a little bit wider and not so snug for pretty much at all in the market so they were really really taking notes and yeah we'll see what the future gives Um, and it was also great to to listen when they explained about uh, how they created the new lines uh, what they had in mind for example the clay pattern it was really like a story behind it when Tsitsipas uh, fell on the court and how certain player turned around a match when he changed to a different colored shirt and if that could affect like you don't see the player that well when he has the clay pattern on it and it could be more difficult to trace the player from the other player's perspective so um it was really nice to talk to them to have their um, input of things and why they are doing certain things so um um, yeah i could not be more happy um, with the days in paris than it turned out to be. It was 10 out of 10, perfect. It was amazing, great experience, great hospitality and um, really interesting to, that they were listening to our feedback as well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you, you hit it on the head there. I mean, I, I was also giving it really like 10 out of 10 day. It was just perfect. And um, I think it's nice to see the people behind the product. Usually like the product is kind of on its own and you, they get reviews and some people buy it, some people like it, some people don't. Now we got the whole backstory. we got to talk to the people that actually design all these things. We have to hear about the process, which is kind of a long process. A lot of thought goes into it, you know, and, then, and makes, you know, the product a bit stronger, you know, as, a, as a, an item, as kind of like a thing. You, you have you think about it in, in the end, you know. And, and I also think you raised an important point that I wanted to comment on, which is like performance products, and that could be rackets or shoes, or for advanced players usually. Players who put a lot of like strain on the materials, like strings. Sometimes you, we talk about like really stiff polyester strings. That's mainly for players who hit very hard, uh, with a lot of like spin on the ball and put a lot of strain on the string. Same with shoes. Like if you slide on hard courts, you might need like a huge, super durable barricade shoe. Like she talked about how the the shoe is made for sliding. So one surface is stronger, and the other surface allows for a little bit more smooth transition into the slide. And I don't slide on hard courts. I don't trust my body to do that. I, I, that's not something I'm, I'm comfortable doing. Uh, so, but for for like guys like Medvedev or or guys playing, you know, futures or high level juniors, obviously they need to slide. That's the new game, right? But for us, maybe like a sole corpus, boost, maybe something a little bit of a different shoe. I, you know, that the pros don't go for that. That's that's more normal for us, like even advanced club level players to to go for. So I think it's important when they create the products to to understand like for the you know to create like a communication what this is for you who are this this is for you who do this and the same with rackets most pro and tour models are for very advanced players like that's generally the the idea I think with head or whatever you know they put pro on a racket that generally means it's going to be pretty demanding so it's not like for a 3.5 NTRP which is like an intermediate type player absolutely um... They,
1: they, I mean, we talked about that, that, um, look at the persons buying the shoes. I mean, the pros often get the shoes for free. I mean, they are the ones that are displaying it, but maybe they should think in a different pattern. Um, when they are attracting an amateur player and a really like not beginner, but intermediate player, is it correct to have like Tsitsipas as a role model, trying to get that player buy the same shoes as Tsitsipas who moves like a Greek god? Maybe not. Maybe they should focus on um, like a coach or some other amateur players that are like they are more, if you understand, down to earth values, like uh, focusing on uh, what works well best for the amateur player, because that's mostly the players that are buying the products um, and have different categories of advertisement for like older players, stuff like that. So you get right product because if an amateur intermediate player gets a, like a really hard performance-driven shoe, like the Barricade, for example, that's not a, maybe a great experience. Um, it's too firm. Um, like um, They don't get the performance. They cannot use the performance of the shoe. So maybe focusing a bit new in the marketing on how to advertise the shoe and who's, what kind of player it works best for. We talked about that and they were taking notes as well. So it will be interesting to see if this turns out to anything in the future.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, when we talked to Songa as well, it was like clear that he's a big guy, plays tennis on the highest level. He needs like barricade style performance more than like maybe a comfort oriented shoe. He needs something that holds his body. I mean, you're also a big guy, but uh, so you might need a different shoe than than like a player who plays twice a week and maybe is very light or or not so physically, you know, like um, like demanding or something, you know. So it's it's very much the right gear for the right person. I think sometimes the information uh, in in the marketing is so strong around the pros, like you say with Sitsipas and Novak and and who else, right? So the marketing is so strong, like oh, you need the, this is what Alcaraz uses, and that does not mean that it's for us to use, right? So we, we are, uh, and obviously not on Alcaraz movement or racket preparation, stroke mechanics, nothing, right? Physicality. So uh, we need definitely to understand that, you know, you, we don't always have to go for the pro gear or the, you know, the pro level and, and the companies should probably focus their marketing a little bit differently if they can. Uh, maybe that, I mean, obviously the stars sell, but sometimes that kind of hurts the consumer in the long run, I think. So, so I think it's something for, for them to consider. Yeah.
1: I mean, really. thinking about the uh rf auto autograph uh, racket from wilson for example it's a 340 grams really difficult racket to to use and there are so many beginners and intermediates using that racket and it's it's just too demanding they should maybe use the uh, 290 grams 97 97 light or something like that much more effectively um so they should focus more on like selling the right product to the right player, focusing more on the core values of the end user and consumer, because it will be better for the end consumer. They will be more satisfied. They will play better tennis. Everyone will benefit of right gear for right person. So um, you should think about uh, that a bit more. I think the softer values, the more human values, selling right products to the right person. I mean, when I'm, I'm selling cars normally, And I could not, like, if a family of four comes in, I could not, like, sell them a sports car with two seats and say, oh, this is good. Oh, the other two cannot go, but uh, it's good for you, too. You have to really, like, take care of the customers. So, um, yeah, you have to be really uh, thoughtful and think about what kind of product you sell to what kind of person. That is my... That is what I think that they should focus more on into the future. I mean, sustainability and all—they are thinking about that, but also focus on the end consumer who should use the product and recommend right product
0: for right user. It's a, it's a amen to that. No, I, I think it's true, and you have a clash in the background there. Uh, you know, it's like clash you don't see on the pro tour. It's a little bit too lively, a bit too much of a trampoline, but for most club players it's absolutely fine to use a clash and it's very arm friendly so i think it's like one of those typical rackets where you where you even can be open maybe from a company like wilson and say okay we didn't make this racket for the pro we don't have like a pro endorsing this racket it's not for the pro this is for you who are worried about tennis elbow you want a bit of extra help with spin and power and um I, i think that's that kind of honesty transparency and and Kind of more clear information will will help the companies and will help the consumers in the end because like if you're a happy consumer you buy a product that you like straight away um you stick with the brand you know you get brand loyalty because you feel like okay you know i they sold me a good product it was perfect for me i will buy three more and uh, then when they release another product that's kind of for me i will check that out you know shoes or apparel or or strings whatever
1: yeah or you can do like me like changing racket brand and type of rackets every third week so uh I'm not maybe the right person to talk about brand loyalty.
0: No, I think it's, it's a bit specific for our situation. I think it's good also to understand that for people listening. I mean, it's um, uh, Henrik and I, we've been testing rackets for so long. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's years and years and years of testing rackets to our own detriment in many cases. But it's also because of its, it's fun, you know. And we we started getting to know each other by trading rackets with each other. That's how we got to know each other. Via forums and so on, you know, and we're both racket heads, gear heads and started, you know, discussing rackets and talking about how they play differently and so on. And, and that's kind of how we got to know each other. And I think, you know, there are many people like us out there that I've noticed through Tennis Nerd and, and so on. And you can go on Tennis Warehouse forums. There's a bunch of people that love rackets and like to change rackets all the time. Uh, it's not so good for your own tennis. That's good to know. I mean, it's much better to, to play with one racket the, the whole time. Uh, when I do that for a period, I play much better. That's just the, the, how it is. And maybe not as fun. I always feel like I have to bring like a few different rackets to just, you know, have a, you know, if I feel like I'm not playing well, I can always go to another racket and it gets like a mental thing where you feel like, okay, now I'm a new player now. So I have more spin, I have more power, whatever. It's just because I think it's fun. It doesn't really add up to reality always. So I think sometimes when, if you ask, like, I, I get a lot of questions like, so Henrik now he's playing with the Blade 100. Um, you know, where do I get the Blade 100, how do I get a hold of Hendrik, how do I, you know, do I want to play with the same gear, because, you know, it's it, Blade 100 is a great racket, I tried it as well, and there's a review on the channel, but for us, I think it's very easy, you know, I, I go back to my prestige, I sometimes go back to my soft drive, but overall, I rotate quite a lot, like, I can go and play a match tomorrow, I don't know, like, I have, you know, 100 rackets, so what should I play with? Depends a bit on my mood, you know? And it doesn't mean that it's gonna be great for my match. And sometimes I, I change rackets mid-match. Lost first set with the Shift, played second set with the Radical, won that third set, I stay with, stay with the Radical, you know? So it's, it's usually how it goes for me. Yeah, same for me. I mean, I played and we made a video about the Blade
1: 100. Um, felt fantastic indoors. I mean, really, really fantastic. One of the best rackets I've ever tried, if not the best for me indoor. Then we went outdoor. Pretty cold, windy, and it didn't. Um, I just couldn't find the groove with it. Um, I gave it a couple of practices, and it just didn't work out on the clay. I don't know why. Very strange, but it just didn't work out. So um, I tried the Ezone 100, the 2022 version, and uh, I used it like straight away in a match, and it felt great. And then I think maybe it's just a honeymoon, so I'm trying it a bit more. Uh, But it's still, I mean, I've been playing with it for three weeks or something now, three, four weeks, and it still feels like really, really great on the clay. The spin is great power, very large sweet spot, easy to use, but still pretty dense string pattern in the center part, so I get good control as well. And the swing weight is also very manageable and i've also had some lead to it so right now i'm using the Eson 100 with um, um, the polytor spin strings and that's the only string string i tried in it though so far so i have not like changed because it feels good so uh, i will try some more string setups but for now the the Eson 100 feels really good on clay Especially here on the Swedish clay, that where the ball bounces pretty high and it's actually pretty slow clay, more uh, more like shale courts instead of clay. Um, but I think I will keep the Blade 100 for the indoor season as well to see how they perform, or if I could use the um, the Eason 100 indoors or some new rackets that might
0: turn up in the autumn. You never know. No, no, it's it's a bit of a dead period now for. For rackets, but we know there are the new stuff coming in in after summer. I would say, or like towards like U.S. Open, there will be <coughs> rack releases. But for now, I think there will be a little bit of a dead period, which could be good for for our own tennis. I would say, but I mean that that makes a, a huge sense, and it's something I noticed as well. Like you play with one racket indoors, and you get like you know you get a control you, the ball moves faster. You have a different type of of um, you know ball flight. Uh, how you play is completely different usually, and then. You go outdoors and it's slow and it's windy and it's like it's just very hard to get the, court, the ball to penetrate the the court, you know, and you need a bit more help. So uh, it makes sense in that sense. And that's always why I, you know, it's, it's hard to commit to one racket because, you know, maybe I usually have like my, you know, list of rackets in rotation, maybe like four or five rackets that I rotate in between. And then one racket goes out of the list and one racket goes into the list. And that's just how my life works with the tennis nerd and all the testing I do and string testing and racket testing and shoe testing. And I think, um, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. Uh, obviously my results could probably be better if I just stick to my prestige or my radical, or whatever, but that's generally how it goes. And, um, and I think it, that's quite fun. And as long as you are comfortable with the string, I think you generally you you get decent results from the from the racket I think the string as I said many times before is, is very important like if you don't like the string it's it's gonna to be tough to like the racket
1: yeah some some rackets are really string sensitive some rackets you can play pretty much everything like you just as long as as it is a poly polyester string or Co poly <clears throat> some rackets are really sensitive even for tension and different um, so That is why it's so important when you are testing like a demo racket, try to string it up with your preferred tension and string, because it could be like um, a totally different experience with one string to another, one tension to another, and also with the different swing weights. uh, I mean, both you and me had examples with different brands where you got a frame that was strung 340 swing weight and I had it strung 317 swing weight, same racket, same weight. But the swing weight was such a big difference, and I mean that is that's pretty much two different rackets. So the, the companies should be, I think they should put more focus into their uh, demo gear. Gear uh, have them more to specifications and be more careful what they are sending out to to play different players, um, because they could lose a potential customer if the specification is too much off. Take that time; it takes like three, four minutes to check everything. Have a great setup um, and send it to customers.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's almost <clears throat> shocking sometimes that you get like a racket that has, you know, 10, 15 swing weight points in the wrong direction. Could be more, could be less, but like with less, you can always add weight. Like if you have a roll of lead tape at home and you're used to that, but some players are not, they're not happy to do that. So they would feel like, oh, it's very unstable racket, like unstable racket. Uh, but because it's so under spec, you know, and, and usually the swing weight situation uh, is is completely separate from the the weight and the balance. So, if you have a racket, and I've seen that with Yonex, like I I, I really think Yonex creates some great products, but I feel like there's swing weight measuring uh, the measurement in the last kind of years, maybe since COVID. I don't know if there's difference in factories or whatever, but it seems like that's a little bit more off now. And uh, and that's been the case with with all brands pretty much is that. Weight and balance they can keep within certain parameters, but then the swing weight can really be like where, where the weight is located. So some rackets have lots of weight at 12 o'clock, which bumps up the swing weight quite a lot, and some rackets are have like most weight in the throat, which doesn't really affect the swing weight, and uh, you know, and vice versa. So you can get really different, like what we had with that uh, particular racket. And I think that's a frustration. You know, you buy three rackets, you want them to be the same. And, um, and even if the swing weight and even if the weight and balance are the same, you have these swing weights all over the place, which creates like a really frustrating experience, you know? So, uh, and it's also tough for us reviewers because we can't, if I get a racket that's so off spec, how can I then estimate how the racket plays for the average consumer or the it's tough, you know, because if it's 340 swing weight, that's like an extreme racket. If it's 305, I can add... You know 10 15 swing weight points get to 320 which is pretty average racket these days and then right okay this racket plays like this but 340 then it becomes like pro player specs already you know so it's uh it's very difficult to to review it fairly okay.
1: and uh, yeah they should be more so if you get the chance to buy from a company that has um, like a customization service or um, some kind of service where they are measuring swing weight and stuff like that i think main focus should be swing weight because. If it's 307 or 310 in weight, that doesn't—you don't really notice that. But the swing weight, I mean, that is—it should be within at least two points. Like if you have 320, 318 to 322, so it's okay, but not more than that because that affects too much. So try to try to have the companies you are buying from to invest in like a swing weight measurement machine. There are some cheap ones. Uh, Bifindi or what is the name of it? I think Bifindi, yeah. Uh, where you, yeah, right. where you have it with your smartphone, um, a, a very small, cool device. Everyone could have it. It's like 250 euros or something like that. That's a good investment for a small shop. They don't need to buy like um, specific swing weight machines.
0: Head three in one or something, which is yeah, they are
1: like that. maybe 3,000 euros or something. I saw that Wilson had a new. Um, new um, customization unit that measures everything, and it's about uh, I think seven and a half thousand US dollars or something. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, you should uh, it. amazing machine, and um, it's the new um, the the popular machine from the Will, the Bab- uh, Babala RDC machine. It's like the um, the new that kind of machine um, with even more they are measuring twist weight and swing weight and um, stiffness in all directions of the racket Um, i think they also have like a program like you know if you're going to a tire shop and they can see where to put the lead i think it has some kind of same uh, same uh, functions like that that you can see where to put the lead if i remember correctly so that's, that's a amazing. pretty cool gadget, actually, but it's steep for the um, normal person to buy. But Maybe for a pro shop, that could be a good investment because those kinds of machines, they tend to function for a very long time.
0: That would be a dream to have one of those. I mean, I'm very happy with my head three-in-one. I get swing weight, weight and balance. Uh, that's generally what you need, but to be able to check twist weight and sometimes stiffness would be would be interesting, you know, and um, sometimes there's too much focus on stiffness because, you know, a 68 RA racket can play pretty soft and a 62 RA racket can play pretty stiff. So it it depends really on where the stiffness is, you know, located. Like there are many different sections of a racket and that have stiffness nodes kind of. So you have to definitely understand that that's an average and it doesn't tell the whole story. Like if it's a foam filled racket, it obviously has a bit more comfort built into it because the foam absorbs the shock. Uh, or pro Kennex, they can have a 72 RA racket because of the kinetic technology. It will you know, absorb the impact as well. So there's, there's obviously uh, lots of, um, of ways to, to you know, look at stiffness. So it's not the whole truth. But the more data you can get, the better, of course. I mean, if you're a real super pro, You want to run a pro shop, or uh, you know, then then that machine could be amazing. But yeah, seven thousand euros, something—it's it's uh, it's a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money. Um, It takes
1: pretty much customization to get that
0: money back. Money back. Yeah, yeah. You need to be the (laughs) the pro customizer for for the literally the pros, like, and for a long time. You know, I know it's it's a tough one unless you're really going for for like being you know the number one in the field. But um, but it's nice to see that also machines are coming. I know the head has the four-in-one as well. Uh, with, with the four different, at least you have twist weight as well, and you can measure paddle and and pickleball rackets as as well. So there's there's definitely development in the area of understanding racket specifications, which I think is is just the nature of where we're going. You know, people want to see where the rackets spec up, and they understand that it's so important for the performance of the racket that you you know if you, you can just like take two rackets from the of the shelf, you need to actually think about you know how they're how they're spec up after from the factory. And then you need to kind of customize them. That's that's becoming more and more common, I think. Yeah. No, so that's cool. But so yeah, E-Zone and Blade for you. Uh, we'll see if indoor, outdoors. Um, do you have any um, matches and stuff coming up? You're playing a bit more now.
1: Yeah, I do. I yeah, you know, I played a league match in Germany a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, now I will have some team matches here in Sweden next weekend. And then I have um, a tournament like a normal regular men's singles tournament and then a week after that I will have one more tournament and then in July will be pretty much no tennis and it's holiday and I will play the Swedish senior championships both singles and doubles in Bostad uh, end of July and onwards so it's, um, it's quite fun to have some tournaments looking forward to and we also have some ATP action I think you are going to um, Mallorca and Stuttgart, and I, I will...
0: Yeah, I, I hope uh, Mallorca. I'm not sure about that one, but Stuttgart, I'm going, going in like 10 days, so uh, already or less, you know, a week.
1: That's a much. great event, event, and hopefully we will see each other in Boston at the Swedish Open as well. Um, yeah, that, that would be that's...
0: amazing, yeah, because that's, that's, I haven't been before, which is also silly, but uh, I would love to go. I mean... The... The thing with traveling to these tournaments, good to point out, is that like it takes a lot of energy. Obviously, I'm working there as well. Like I'm, do- I'm part of the press, and I'm also, you know, trying to get some some insights from players, shoot some some uh, footage from the courts, and so on. And um, and it's like an intense experience. And all this travel, even with the trip to Adidas, you go there for like two days, you get home, you're pretty tired, you put a lot of effort and energy into it. Uh, so it's when you travel a lot, and this also goes, with, you know, the players. Like I mean, imagine just being living in your suitcase for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. You don't go home. You just go to one tournament, to the next tournament, to the other tournament. To the, uh, it's it's a very um, taxing lifestyle, uh, but it's also super fun. So there's there's pros and cons with everything. But this summer I, I intend to go to to a few tournaments for sure and uh, try to live the... tennis life for a bit here
1: we are looking forward to your videos especially from the the grass court events Uh, i remember you had some court level view of berrettini from stuttgart and it's really nice to see them play this close um i like that kind of footage and also great to see from your experience it's like a travel experience and recommendation to other spectators if they should go to that tournament or not and uh, yeah it's, it's great if um if people get a chance to visit the swedish open for example that i would highly recommend it especially in the in the beginning of the week for example the tuesday is normally tuesday and wednesday is in my opinion the best days when there are so many matches on like four courts at the same time it's, it feels almost like a grand slam because it's people and players all over the place and it's so good you get very close to the to the action Monday could be a little bit um, more relaxed, more calm. Calm. So if you're going on a Monday, you will have even more access, even better places. Uh, so uh, if you get a chance to go to Bostad in July, it's the, that's prime Sweden for you. Uh, it couldn't. It doesn't get any better than that. Sweden in July. That's um, summer dream.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Sweden in summertime is is uh, is where it shines the most. And uh, you're playing tournaments. You said like last year. I think did you win the doubles Swedish championship for your age or what? Was uh, we lost the, the
1: final in you, men's yeah men's 40 doubles. We lost the final against a really good couple. I think they have like in total 30 gold medals or something. Yeah, they are really really good, a really, seriously good doubles partner couple. But we were happy to reach the final. Of course, you want to win. But um, this year we're playing in the men's 45. I'm starting to be old. And um, the first gray hair is appearing, yeah. So, um, it will be men's 45, and hopefully, I mean, 45 is 45 and 50 is in Sweden the biggest uh, categories, I think. So, it will be a really tough competition, and uh, yeah, hopefully, to do one step above, and it would be really cool to win the championship. I think we are not the favorite, but um, I think we can do some damage in that double as well. So, it will be really interesting, and we will. Practicing hard to to reach that uh, singles. Um, I think I perform better in doubles these days I'm a bit bigger and covers the net pretty good and serves and returns well, but maybe not the best mover and Seldom you are a good mover when you are plus 100 kilos um, But Doubles you can do some damage with the weight So it will be interesting to see and Bostad playing on those nice courts the same they're using part of the ATP venue as well, so it's really nice
0: to play down there. Yeah, that's an amazing backdrop and very good courts. Uh, do you play with the same guy as uh, last yes, year? Yes, or... same player. We're texting a bit before.
1: We'll, we will practice at the midsummer as well um, when I'm going up. To, he's from Stockholm, so we will practice a bit and uh, be really prepared. So it's good to play with the same player again. It's easier to get in a good groove, so, and it's also a very, very nice guy. Uh, Marcus is his name, um, and um, it's gonna be really much fun to play with him again.
0: So, for this one, you're gonna bring the eSon now, that's how it looks, right? ESon, you have a few eSones and you string it with Yonex Polygon. Yeah, spray. I, I
1: have, I had one that I bought because I have not tried it, so I bought them, I had to buy them myself, um, and I wanted to buy one more, but uh, they were out of stock everywhere pretty much. Uh, so I bought Eson 100 plus, but it, this, it turns out the swing weight is just too much for me to handle. And uh, so I sold them and, uh, okay, I could have cut them, but I sold them. So I bought one more from, I think Tennis Warehouse was the only one that had one left. So I will try to get two more because playing a tournament over a week with only two rackets, that's not so good. So I will try to get at least two more. So I have at least four of those um, and yonix is also if you are buying them to a decent price you almost always get pretty much money back when you are selling them but um, i think i will or hopefully i will stick to the, this racket a bit more and hopefully it works on on indoor as well and um, so we'll see and uh, we'll see uh, you never know i mean i could have a bad match and i never want to see them again and then all all of a sudden i'm using the pro stuff 97 or you never know with me you yeah, you never
0: know. <laughs> no, I am the same. Like, I mean, it's sometimes you feel like, um, like yesterday I, I did a testing session, so I brought like eight rackets, you know, and all, all kinds. And then you go, you know, maybe extreme power. I tried the, the Pure Aero 98 a bit because, you know, we've been watching Alcaraz, so you're you're inspired to play with that racket, which is, a, I like that racket a lot, but... The ball does go a bit. if you, have to, if you don't hit with max spin, you the ball's gonna sail a little bit. so it doesn't really suit my style. but sometimes with the forehand you can, can generate some some big pace with that frame. Uh, so then you play around a bit, but usually I go, tend to always go back to kind of radical MP, which I like the new one. Uh, that's what, where I played my, my best tournament play with that one uh, or the, my old prestige from 2019. Those are the, all of those rackets are very low power. I mean the radical is not low power, that' actually pretty decent. But the Prestige is, is, is tough, yeah. You need to really get in the groove with that one. And if you're slow on the feet one day, it, it's a tough racket to use. But I, I just love how the, the racket feels. Um, but that's you tend to kind of go back, even if you, you play with the Shift and you play with the the, the rackets. Yeah. It's kind of what... I think the racket has shaped you a bit as a player. So if you started playing a lot with one type of racket, it's kind of hard to get away from it. Uh, that's something I, I, I'm publishing... a. By this time, people hear this. Uh, you know, you will have maybe listened to this. It's the, my um, podcast with Karu Cell from my Tennis HQ, and and we talked about that in the, the podcast where where you know how the racket shapes the player. You know, you see that Alcaraz is a Babla player, for example. It's it's like what, what other brand could Alcaraz use? Almost, you know, and um, and Federer is the pro staff guy, right? That's like that's that's the way he plays. The, he hits through the court to go to attack, um, and then it's just kind of shaped your game. Uh, but for me, with all the rackets, and for you, I think it's it's a kind of, it's hard to be too shaped by the racket. Do you think you, your racket shaped your game at some point uh, back? You know, maybe ten years, fifteen years. At, I don't know. Absolutely,
1: I used because back in the days, my absolute favorite player was Alberto Berasategui, Spanish guy, really extreme forehand, and he used the Prestige 600, and I, I mean, I was. 16, 17 years old, and I really wanted to have that racket. So I bought it and it was totally, I mean, I just had just started to play in tennis. I was a beginner and using that kind of racket, I mean, I couldn't hit the court with that racket. It was too demanding, but I still used it. And then I got a new favorite, uh, Franco Schiari from Argentina and he was using the Pro Tour and also Guga Kurten was a favorite. So I started to use that run and it was easier to use. But then came um, Nicolas Lapenti and Carlos Moya and used the, the pure drives and the pure drive when they were launching it in Sweden back in 1997, it was so cheap. It was like 80 or 90 euros new. They were like half price against all the other brands. So I bought them and I had like 10 because the strings I at that time I was stringing them with Kirschbaum Super Smash at 30 kilos, three zero. Yeah, it was uh, with a drop weight machine, so it was like um, like a frying pan, and I was like the strings were lasting like 45 minutes, so I had 10 of them um, because they were so cheap. Um, But that racket actually, I had to use a certain style to use that racket because it's so powerful, very wide string spacing, so that affected my game very much and. Turned out that the racket controlled me, so I was stepping off the gas more and more and more and more and more. And in the end, I felt like, no, this racket is doing harm for me because I'm not hitting my shots. I'm just like pushing the ball. So I stopped. That's one. The feel of the original pure drive, Uh, that's the, I mean, that's the best racket for feel and spin and and stuff like that. But it just affects my game too much so it makes me a lazy player so i sold them i mean they are good but i've not for me so um, i feel like if i get lazy in a racket it's not good for me because i don't want i want to play my big shots i want to hit hard but i don't want to have to step off the gas to keep the ball in play and makes the racket control me then i will not use it anymore so that was the last
0: racket that really affected my game. And yeah, and what did you go to after that? What was what racket did you stick with the longest, um think? Your... I, from that I went to the
1: TI Fire Pro edition. It was like uh, with um what is it called, you know, um when this um, um do you know what
0: I mean? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, they had like uh, a Yes, crossbar. exactly,
1: a crossbar. Um uh, the t i fire pro edition it was also used by Franco Schiari, and a short time for with Agassi. but then when I was in Australia in two thousand and one i got um uh to try i really wanted to try the i radical, but it was too too firm too stiff for me so I instead went with the i prestige or the p t fifty seven as it's known these days and that racket I used for the longest time I think I used it for seven or eight years. It was magnificent. And then I went back and forth with the new iterations of the pure drives. Um, and then it just, uh, skyrocketed with trying different, uh, rackets from there on. And I, I don't, I think the longest I've been using a racket lately has been the V core, the, the black version that was out a couple of years ago. I used that for almost one year. And then I had one bad match and crushed one racket really bad the last time I crushed the racket, but I have not used that since. Tried the new version, but it was just too muted for me. Good racket, but too muted. Um, so, um, yeah, the I I think the iPrestige is the racket I've been using the most over the years.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful racket. <clears throat> one of my, my favorites as well. I have a few still, I think. Uh, but but yeah, it's, it's demanding, but it's like the feeling is is like just that perfect blend of of like a little bit of a crispiness like a, you know you, you do feel the ball it's not too too flexible where you I mean sometimes the you play with the, the pro tour 630 or, or the PT57a this is the e the, the I prestige the A it's, it's a little bit too flexible like you get nothing you know but with the E it's a bit stiffer so you get some power uh, but still that feeling is in, in the string bed is, is just amazing so I think that's just one of my favorite rackets as well uh, and I, for me it was the 6195 that's the one I probably used the most over the years. Back and forth, you know uh, it's one of my favorite rackets, so that's very good, but at some point you start feeling like ninety five square inches is is tough you know it's a little bit too much ninety eight I'm still fine with but ninety fives they do punch you quite a bit if you hit a little bit off center you you're really you get it like a shank ball or whatever if you play with someone who plays with high high pace and and top spin. You
1: know? yeah, I've noticed that uh, i mean I used the the new radical quite a lot, and I really liked it if had The TK-82S grip shape, that's just too square, or round, or how you should say that it is. Uh, And the normal TK-82 is too square, uh, or too rectangular. Um, So they should have something in between, like, I don't like the shape of that. I think that head should, they are too extreme in their shape of the grips, for me at least. I like more the shape of, yeah, like Yonex or Babala. They are like somewhere in between TK82 and TK82S. Um, But that uh, Radical 98, that's a really good racket I could really use. But one thing I noticed is that when I'm using it, it feels extremely good for me. Like, I feel like I play great tennis, but I don't have that same effect on the opponent. So it seems like the opponent, for me, it feels like I'm playing good it doesn't create any problems for my opponents when I'm using that racket. So it feels good for me, but the ball don't get the same effect as it does when I'm playing a hundred square inch like uh, E zone or uh, head extreme or something like that. It just gets more, uh, it makes more damage. So just going by the feel, what feels best, I would say I would use the radical MP just if you and I are just hitting like balls, practicing, um the um, the radical MP would be my choice but if I should use it effectively I would use like an E zone against you because it you get a like a heavier ball to you to play against and it it's create more problem for my opponents so it's a, it's a difficult um, thing to find the right groove with each and every category in a
0: racket no I agree I think like the, that's the problem you notice like I love the prestige but for example, that's even more low-powered. power powered, But the problem is, like, the ball, if I'm playing a guy who's playing, you know, some futures or whatever, or, or just slightly below that level, better player than me, then the prestige doesn't give him any problems, right? He's like, I get the balls back, I can hit, you know, swing out fully and, and create some... And I feel like at the net, my touch is better. But overall, like, the, I cannot, you know, create any problems for him. So I think it's always good to... to get some feedback from the guy on the other side of the net. If you're playing with someone, if you're testing a racket and you're demoing rackets, you can, you know, ask your your um, hitting partner, like, when I'm playing with this racket, do you feel, like, difference compared to the other one? And I think most players will be able to tell you, like, this ball is coming faster, I'm struggling more with the pace, this ball is heavier, this ball I can hit easily, you know, like, this is more easy to play against, you know. So it's... Then it's obviously a, a mix of those. You have to kind of ask yourself as well. Like, if you're missing a lot with... A racket like the E-Zone, obviously, it's, might be too much power, so the, maybe the answer is somewhere in between or, or you have to go for the radical, but maybe tweak it a bit with strings and, and uh, customization, but it's a good point, you know, you should always talk to your, the hitting partner as well and see what, what, ball, is, is you, what ball you're generating, because it's not easy to feel that yourself, right? No,
1: you have to ask yourself, do I want to win matches or do I just want to play like casually? So ask your hitting partner or film your hitting partner when you are playing them and see what creates most problem
0: for them. That's that's
1: just a very good advice.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's like about. I think tennis, like I realized a lot. Um, you know, when you test rackets, it's about hitting, it's about experiencing the ball. But I I think I also need to test rackets in a more you know competitive scenario, which is a little bit of sacrificing my own results. But at least I I understand what the racket does to my game and that you know, helps me being able to tell that to people as well. And, you know, when you play tennis, it's all about the competition. So, you know, wh- whether you like it or not, it's, it's, um, I think you're actually playing tennis when you're competing in some way, whether it's playing like casual, you know, tie breaks with your friend or, or playing matches, but it's, that's when you the stakes are higher. That's where your real strokes come out. That's where any issues come out more clearly uh, when you're just hitting, but people can feel like, you know, Federer, but, uh, but then when you play a match, that's, where everything changes,
1: right? Absolutely. Matches do uh, a lot of things to your mind and a racket that feels great in practice could be like impossible to use in a match in a tight situation. So always before you buy rackets, before you like invest, like in four or five rackets, they are two, 300 euros these days. It's a big investment. It's like a bad used car or something like that. Um, try to use a racket in a match, sacrifice one match, one match that is important to use that racket to see if it really works in competition mode. So um, that's a good advice as well. Use it, use a racket in competition before you buy them to see how
0: they perform yeah. for you. And sometimes I find like, it's interesting with that point, like you say, you know, creating damage. Um, so for example, if I play a guy who's one, one level higher or maybe two level higher player, I feel like I need all the help I can get. So maybe like an E-100 is a racket I also like a lot, um, Will create more damage, but then I play a guy on my level or slightly lower. Then I feel like I need to control, you know, because I, you know, I, I maybe tense up a bit, or I know I should beat him anyway. So I, I mean, if I play uh, like with the radical, I have more confidence in where the ball lands, and he's not gonna hurt me because it doesn't really matter as much as if I play a good player. So it's also that that is tough. I think I find that quite tough sometimes. That if you play with strong players for like a period. Uh, And then you need the power, but then you start playing with like players on your level and then you you can go back to the control a bit. So that's why it's so tough sometimes to choose a racket because the opponents make a big difference.
1: Absolutely. If you're playing a weaker opponent or opponent, you know that you should beat that where you are in charge. Maybe you could use a racket with much lower swing weight, for example. And if you're playing a guy that plays really heavy, then you need to have like a high swing weight to do any damage to him. And it could be like a difference of 20 points in swing weight and when i'm playing against the top guy in my club uh, if i'm using it too light i mean i was trying the boom prototype against him and it had a strong swing weight of like 290 and it was like popcorn for him he just it was just sitting up and he was just eating my balls like it was absolutely nothing and if i'm using like a pro stock uh, prestige with 345 swing weight he gets some problems with my shots so it's so important with swing weight against
0: certain type of players. So, um... Yeah, if they have good strokes and and they can really damage like a dead ball, like good players, they they can take a dead shot and just hit the winner, like, or at least put you on the back foot. So um, that's where you really notice like what the racket does and how much depth you get for free with the racket. And you see some pros like, Novak uses very controlled racket, tight string, uh, high swing weight to get that depth. And he always gets the depth because his stroke mechanics are so good. And then you have a guy like Alcaraz. who uses pretty powerful spin-oriented racket, but he puts so much swing into it. It's like he just swings with the whole body and jumps into the shot and stuff like that. So he puts so much explosiveness from his own, you know, movement into the racket. So it's all different depending on your style, I would say. Depending also like on all levels. So if you're a one type of play with one type of stroke, doesn't mean. Um, you should copy one type of pro it, it really is it's up to uh, to each an individual what they what works for them that's why you need to demo you know demo of a couple of rackets in what you think is your range of rackets you know or get professional help that's really where i think you need to to do to actually find like a good one and there's no perfect racket that we said that a hundred times but it's always good repeat because there will not be one racket where you feel like this is good for everything you know, I can just stop looking because everything is good with this racket. It's, there's not one out there. It's, it's hard to break it, two people. <laughs> yeah, and you also
1: have to think about that if if I like something. I mean, I'm a baseline grinder with big serve and heavy shots. I mean, don't listen to me if you know that you are a serve and volley player or uh, you play flat shots. I mean, what works for me will not work for you. So think about what, if you're this type of player that I am, um, baseline grinder listen to my advice if you're more like a flat shot player listen to Jonas because that's his type of shots and his type of game and the rackets that he likes maybe like maybe suits your game better so yes don't take my word because I like one thing doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for your game so you have to consider what type of player you are and what kind of level you are um, if you're a beginner maybe you should not use like a Radical 98, maybe you should use like um, Blade 108 or Ultra 108 or something like that, like just the comparison. So think about what kind of player you are when you are looking at advices and see what different kind of players like and what fits your game.
0: Yeah, and if you go lighter than you might think you are uh, and you have a roll of lead tape, you can always customize a bit, like just get the weight up. So it's easier to kind of go from lighter to heavier than if you're buying a too heavy racket like I got... Sometimes get like you know, YouTube comments or emails from people, and they they you know played tennis for eight months, and they they play with an old prestige like from five years back when the prestiges were ninety five square inches, and you were like okay, uh, this is three hundred fifty grams, and and it's like it's completely the wrong racket because you will might enjoy hitting the few shots that you hit in the center, but then it's gonna hurt you over the long run. It will make tennis dip, more difficult. Then it already is, and tennis is already super difficult as a sport. So you need all the help you can get with just getting the ball over, with uh, you know decent height over the net. Just get any help you can to just get the best possible shot, and then work with that. I think it's it's not rocket science or racket science always to get a racket. It's just like finding something that feels pretty good, and then just sticking with that and just working on your game because it's all in the footwork and, and stuff anyway, right? So that that's that's. It, it hurts for racket people to talk about that because the racket makes a difference, but you know what makes the most difference is, is your game in the end, You know what you do to the, with the racket.
1: Yeah, racket preparation is also the key. I mean, just to, to raise your racket and prepare your swing is so important. Uh, if you feel like your game is off, take a look at your footwork and how's your racket preparation? Because a lot of the time you are hitting the ball late, you are not making the right adjustments. You're not preparing your shots you're not taking back your racket and you're not keeping the racket head up uh, you're late to the ball that is like a good advice you should have like move your feet early racket preparation racket head up that is uh, what i think of when my game is off and it always works or 99.9 percent of the time and um, that's just a small advice like those those three uh, three advice keep your feet moving early preparation racket head up and you're ready to go
0: yeah you don't need like a long checklist and also being a little bit you know on your toes right You'll bend knees on your toes but it's not like you need like five points depending on what where you kind of maybe go wrong and and just keep that in mind like usually we blame the racket and that happens also to the pros like when the pros hit hits like a bad shot they they look at the racket like the racket was to blame and it's very rarely the racket like it's Bad shots usually come from stroke preparation, poor stroke preparation or, or other things, you know. It's like something we, we did wrong, not, not so much the gear. Uh, but the gear overall makes a difference, but it, it's easy to exaggerate the difference it makes. As well. Absolutely. Cool, man. All right. I'm going to hit uh, the court soon, hit some clay court tennis, which is good after a whole week off. Uh, we should do this soon, obviously. Always nice <laughs> to share
1: some thoughts on the tennis nerd topics.
0: Thanks a lot. Okay.
1: We keep in touch and hope to see you in Bostad. Same to you. See you in Bostad.